This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VinSmart. Learn more about how we can help you with fleet recall management and maintenance updates, as well as capture vehicle history and VIN data. Give VinSmart a call at 1-888-950-9550 or visit us on the web at vinsmart.com slash for businesses. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the AnvaCast. This week, we're taking a dive into one of Anva's more red products, the Reducing Suspended Drivers and Alternative Reinstatement Best Practices, which we just saw a recent update to Edition 3 of that best practice. Joining me this week to talk about it are Marcy Coleman. Marcy is the Assistant Administrator for Safety and Regulations at the Rhode Island Division of Motor Vehicles, and Brian Arsino, who is Anva's Director of Law Enforcement. Marcy, Brian, welcome to both of your first appearances on the AnvaCast. Thanks, Ian. We're happy to be here. So let's jump into this conversation about the best practice. Marcy, you've been part of the working group that created the best practice. Take us back to the fundamental original conversation about reducing suspended drivers and why that conversation even matters. In other words, why did AMVA get together and say the community needs a best practice that really helps our members reduce that population of suspended drivers? Well, we looked at some of the statistics, and currently nationwide, there are 7% of all drivers out there who are suspended. A number of those individuals, as most MVAs know, are suspended for non-highway safety-related offenses. So essentially, a lot of jurisdictions are utilizing license suspension in order to require compliance with other types of programs, such as taxes. Sometimes it has to do with failing to pay your ticket, failing to appear in court, child support, all of those. If you actually look at the amount of time and effort that MVAs put into processing these suspensions, assisting customers, law enforcement taking time away to deal with suspended drivers at roadside who are not suspended for anything to do you know, with the safety of their driving, and also the courts. The courts spend an inordinate amount of time looking at cases before them that really have nothing to do with the driver's ability to safely operate. So based on all of these reasons, you know, we had to look at this and figure out, number one, do these non-safety-related suspensions actually work as they're designed to work? So basically, are people actually complying with some of these other programs? You know, and whether or not it's actually worth the effort of supporting these types of suspensions. And to be clear, when when we're talking about reducing suspended drivers, we're not talking about reducing the amount of people who have to lose their privilege to drive because they've committed an offense where they deserve to lose their license. We're talking about reducing suspended drivers when they're losing their license for a non-driving, non-safety related reason. Absolutely correct. If someone is operating in a way that is not safe and they have a violation and a suspension based on that, certainly that suspension is a valid suspension and we would not recommend changing that in any way. What I am talking about, actually there's quite a few listed in Appendix D of the Best Practices document. You can see jurisdiction after jurisdiction and all of the non-safety related suspensions. Things having to do with library fines, bad checks, stealing gasoline at the gas pumps, all of those having absolutely nothing to do with the driver's ability to safely operate. 
So the original version of this best practice came out almost 10 years ago now in 2013. In terms of that fundamental premise, have either of you seen jurisdictions that have been able to move the needle and actually take the action to reduce the reason someone is suspended? And are you starting to see the benefits of not suspending so many drivers for non-driving reasons? Absolutely. We actually have it in Appendix C. Washington State did a great analysis back in 2018 talking about the changes that they made in July of 2013, where they stopped suspending drivers for failing to appear for non-moving violations. You can see from the data in that appendix, I mean, the number of citations went down from somewhere in the vicinity of 25,000 down to little less than 10,000. They were able to cut down on FTEs, they were able to reduce costs based on postage, and they were able to reallocate staff for uh, really what's truly the MBA's core goal, ensuring safe drivers are properly licensed. And to that point, one of the things you mentioned earlier, Marcy, is the idea that when someone's suspended for a non-driving reason, it diverts the resources of law enforcement that has to deal with that citation and the fact that the driver is suspended. So Brian, maybe you can explain for our listeners, why can't or can an officer at roadside, when they pull someone over and they see someone is suspended, but they see that the suspension is because of library fines or one of the other well-known examples, such as not curbing your dog, uh, all the other reasons Marcy was alluding to, does the officer not have the flexibility to react accordingly at that point? No, they don't. And quite frankly, most of the time, they don't get the reason for suspension in their initial information return when they run a data check. They just get the status of the privilege. So oftentimes, they don't even know what the reason was. And the action is the same. So even if they did know the reason, it wouldn't matter. Law enforcement agencies have established protocols, and it may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. As a matter of fact, I know it does. But let's take my home state of Washington, for example. If a trooper here in Washington State stops someone for driving while suspended, they have a set protocol. As a matter of fact, up until very recently when it was overturned by a court decision, they were required to impound that vehicle, regardless of the reason for suspension. So you have the time it takes for the stop. You have the time it takes to call a tow truck and impound the vehicle. Then you have to transport the driver either to jail or off the freeway somewhere safely. And that's not to mention the follow-up court time that ensues potentially weeks later. So if all these actions, the impound of the vehicle, the arrest of the driver, or the safe transportation of the driver, and actual court follow-up at a later time, if you total all that time, it can be fairly substantial. And again, it doesn't matter what the original reason for the suspension was. I want to go back quickly, if I could, talk about some of the data that Marcy referred to. In the original working group, some of the data analysis we had done, um, we took complete suspended driver data from eight jurisdictions and found that approximately 40% of all suspensions were for non-driving reasons. We were able to quantify the scope of the problem. Now, if you translate that to the question you just gave me in the law enforcement world, potentially if every jurisdiction were to eliminate non-highway safety reason suspensions, you could say that there's potential for law enforcement to stop 40% fewer suspended drivers at roadside. And that's a reduction of that many contacts where they have to invest this much time in the required follow-up action. So let's fast forward now. That original best practice was produced in 2013. In 2017, we update the best practice and add the element of alternative reinstatement. What does alternative reinstatement mean in this context? 
Correct. What we did was we looked at various programs throughout the jurisdictions that could be utilized to address some of these compliance issues without going forward and suspending somebody's license. You know, we looked at the premise, if you have someone who's suspended for some financial reason, such as failure to pay fines, by suspending their license, you're taking away the best way that the person has to go out, work, make money to be able to pay those fines. So suspending didn't seem to make much sense. So we started looking at the various jurisdictions and we saw different programs that apply for younger drivers, um, alive at 25. There are a number of them set forth in the document. We also discussed some states doing community service. I think it was California that had a community service program that you could utilize to eliminate your fines. So we looked at that. And as I said, I mean, there were a number of different alternatives that we had come up with, and they are all outlined in the 2017 document. And why, if the role of the DMV and the law enforcement partner, if, if that's about keeping the unsafe driver off the road, and the first part was about having the non-safety violations not result in suspension, what's the importance to invest in exploring this alternative reinstatement? Brian, do you remember those conversations early on in the working group that said why it's needed to have more of these options that Marcy laid out? Yeah, quite simply, it's, and it was alluded to before, is the primary reason for suspending someone's privilege to drive is to keep the unsafe driver off the road, more so than it is a means for punishment. And there are a lot of people who are being suspended who can operate safely, but because of other administrative requirements, whether it's an administrative requirement on the part of the DMV or if it's court ordered, they have to get suspended. And what we're doing via the second edition document is trying to open the conversation in a lot of the jurisdictions that don't currently have either alternatives to the initial suspension or alternatives that expedite reinstatement if they are suspended. And so we wanted to, to uh, take some of these programs, like Marcy said, that we identified throughout the country. There's a, a great program from Maryland. Uh, Marcy mentioned one from California. All over, we have these use cases and case studies that we outline for those jurisdictions that perhaps are not offering these types of programs to see that there are alternatives to either suspension or to expedite reinstatement. And again, we don't intend for any of these to apply to the dangerous driver. Those people should remain suspended until they can comply with the conditions of the court and, and prove that they can once again operate a vehicle safely. So you mean the alternative reinstatement is still targeted to that population that may be dealing with a suspension that's less related to a safety offense? Exactly. Marcy, have you seen either in Rhode Island or when talking to your peers in other jurisdictions, are there particular types of drivers that this impacts more than others? We've heard before that younger or newer drivers may get caught in a vicious cycle, and the alternative reinstatement may be more valuable to putting them back on solid footing. Does that theory hold true in what you've seen? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The younger drivers, they don't have the knowledge of what it takes to operate a vehicle such as insurance requirements, inspection requirements. They don't know anything about reinstatement fees. If you don't pay a ticket, you end up having to pay the court. But then once you get suspended, you have to pay these additional fees to the DMV. You know, they really don't understand what can happen if you're not compliant with some of these requirements. And so they get into the system and and then they continue driving on the suspended license and it just becomes a multiplier. They keep racking up fines and, you know, it, it kind of becomes this black hole that they're having difficulty getting out of. So having these alternative approaches allows them to find their way back into the system rather than being continuously pushed out. 
Right, absolutely. I mean, right now we have in our court systems here, we have the ability to pay calendar. So if you have an individual who unfortunately has gotten these fines, not for safety related reasons at all, I'll just make that clear again, has nothing to do with improper driving, but they've racked up these fines, they now have reinstatement fees, the court will work with these individuals, put them on a payment plan, and in the meantime, go ahead and let the MBA reinstate the license so the person can get to the grocery store, their job, whatever services they may need. The person is able to continue with their life while at the same time taking care of these obligations. And that can be true even if the initial offense was safety or driving related, but they've made good, if you will, on whatever the penalty was. But along the way, they've accumulated administrative fees and fines, even though the original offense was safety related. Absolutely. And the imposition of those continued fines, we actually refer to in the document as the multiplier effect. You know, you start off with one citation for changing lanes improperly, and then it just kind of snowballs from there. And that's where it becomes very difficult, you know, with these additional administrative penalties for that driver to be able to get back and get their license reinstated. And I guess that really segues into the most recent update, which is very much focused on the ability to pay and what's more technically called failure to appear and failure to pay. Brian, why don't you talk to us about this latest update and how some of those factors are further explored in the updated best practice? Sure. Thanks, Ian. So in both our first and second editions, the AMVA recommendation was quite simply that jurisdictions should only suspend for highway safety reasons. That was the extent of the recommendation, and we went no further than that. However, over the last couple of years, various state legislatures, state driver's license authorities, and other special interest groups have focused on the suspension of driving privileges for failure to pay fees and or fines, and our original recommendation didn't segregate those issues. And so several AMBA subject matter experts have been monitoring these conversations, came together and decided that we should recommend to the board of directors that we do a deeper dive into the recommendation. The board of directors did ask us to do this. I wanted to mention specifically, I use the term AMBA subject matter experts, but I want to mention the team that really was behind delving into this issue because a lot of our listening audience, I'm sure, are quite familiar with all of these names. In addition to myself, Julie Knittel, Kevin Lewis, Kristen Shea, and Jessica Ross were all involved in developing our new recommendation, which the Board of Directors recently approved for publication. And so as a result of the AMBA staff work, in essence, our failure to appear and failure to pay recommendations are very consistent with the original recommendation that they should only happen if the failure to appear or failure to pay originated from a violation that had to do specifically with highway safety reasons. So in other words, if someone failed to appear in court for a non-driving reason, there should not be a resulting suspension action for that failure to appear, the same with failure to pay. Now, on the issue of failure to pay more specifically, we even further dove into that issue because a lot of people are probably familiar with the term driving while poor. And that's what a lot of the conversation state legislatures has centered on. And Marcy alluded to the multiplier effect. And in some cases, we call it the death spiral. Someone gets into that hole, they just can't get out. So the recommendation that just came out in our newest release, our third edition, is that regardless of the underlying offense type, even if it is for a driving reason, jurisdictions should consider avoiding suspending simply for FTP if the driver demonstrates a need for relief from paying part or all of the fine or court costs based on indigency. What we don't think is someone should be let off the hook because they don't want to pay. There's a difference between I don't want to pay and I can't pay. 
And most every jurisdiction has an established formula for recognizing if a person meets their definition of indigency. And if they do meet that threshold for indigency, then we think that a person should be given special consideration, if you will. Again, the goal of the suspension action is not to keep someone down or in a position where they can never get their license back. The intent is for them to meet conditions of the court or demonstrate their ability to become a safe driver and to be able to drive again. And so the new recommendation does that. The base recommendation, just to reiterate, continues to be as it always has been. Jurisdiction should only suspend for highway safety-related offenses or reasons. But the new recommendation also touches specifically on failure to appear and failure to pay, and it introduces this whole notion of indigency threshold and how you demonstrate that a person meets that. And if they can, they should be given special consideration. One last point I'd like to make is that we have a lot of stakeholders who have been reaching out to us for guidance. And what's been very interesting to me is a lot of them are not traditional AMBA members. So in one case, the state of Indiana, of course, the Indiana Bureau of Motor Vehicles was involved, but the suspended driver working group was actually chaired by a prosecutor. And so this prosecutor from Indiana reached out to us and asked us for input and guidance. And uh, they used our document quite a bit. And even more recently, just last week, the state of Florida just kicked off a brand new, uh, at the direction of the governor, a working group to explore this whole issue of suspended drivers. And that working group in Florida is being chaired by a judge. And the judge reached out to me just last week, and he was thrilled to find out that we just published this third edition that had these additional recommendations. And he said, basically, I'm going to use that as our script. So our new uh, document is already being used. Well, that's great to hear that it's already getting that type of attention. Brian, you mentioned a couple of times that there are drivers uh, who it's been determined that they're not capable of paying and should be given special consideration. That's an interesting phrase, special consideration. Is it one we define in the best practice? Does it tie back to those alternative reinstatement methods from the previous best practice? How, how do those pieces tie together? Well, all of the above. Special consideration in this context can mean either a payment plan. It could mean a deferral or waiver of some or all of the payment requirement. Again, based on where they fall on the scale of indigency, you know, some courts actually have a continuum. It's not black or white, you can or you cannot. It depends on where that individual falls within that continuum. So it applies to all those things. Special consideration could mean waiver, it could mean payment plan, it could mean an educational program like Marcy had suggested. They're established educational programs, and if a person takes that program, then some or all the fine or fee is waived. So it falls into that whole scope of conversation. Marcy, you're from Rhode Island. Let's use that as a quick case study. In terms of the spectrum of all the different elements that we learn about in the best practice, where is Rhode Island on that spectrum of not suspending for non-highway-related safety reasons, all the way up through providing the different options when someone is unable to pay? Yeah, I would say right now we haven't had much traction in the legislature to, you know, eliminate all non-safety related suspensions. However, in our courts, we do have the ability for our judges to utilize the education programs, the ability to pay calendars. So the judges do have enough discretion that they are able to take into consideration some of these special circumstances, you know, and craft something that an individual would be able to complete without a license suspension. So although we do still have these suspensions out there, the judges have much more flexibility in crafting some sort of specialized result. 
you mentioned not necessarily having the legislative support to get rid of all of the non-driving related suspensions. I'd imagine that's true across many jurisdictions. Because even though these documents have been out there for nearly a decade, it's a pretty big cultural shift that was well established a long time. The idea that using the, the license and the ID card as a mechanism to control other clients' behaviors. So what have either of you heard in terms of that cultural shift in general? You gave the success example of Washington State, a new initiative recently in Florida. When you talk to the folks in different jurisdictions, is there a general reception that, yeah, a driving license really should be tied to what you do on the road? Or are there still a lot of folks saying, yeah, it's tied to what you do on the road, but it's still a jurisdiction privilege. And if you want to use it for these other methods, well, we should have the flexibility to do so. There has been a lot of conversation about all those things. I would say the scale is tipped toward the absolutely agree that it should really be used primarily for addressing poor driving behavior. Part of the challenge, though, for the jurisdictions, even if, let's say, for example, a Department of Motor Vehicle administrator is on board with it, it's a whole different thing to get it through the state legislature and have the law passed. And earlier you asked about states we know that have taken action. A couple others, in addition to Washington, I can mention are, are Georgia and Vermont. Although I can't speak eloquently to actual results they've experienced like Washington has, I do know they've passed similar legislation. But getting that legislation passed is more problematic only because there are special interest groups out there who fight for their individual interests, special interests in a specific type of suspension. So it becomes politicized to some extent. It's not always within the absolute control of the DMV administrator to say, this is what we want to do, and it magically happens. But the conversations that I've heard, I think to a vast majority does fall in, yeah, we agree, we should eliminate as many of these non-driving suspensions as we possibly can. On that note, there are a couple that are actually federally mandated uh, that can't be fixed with the stroke of the state wand or Canadian jurisdiction wand, if you will. In the United States, at least, it's a federal requirement that someone's driving privilege be suspended for failure to pay child support. That's a federal requirement. And so there are some individual cases of workarounds, but for the most part, most jurisdictions do suspend for that. And it's not quite as easy to eliminate that one. And there's another one? I'm sorry, there is. There is another one, and that is for even for non-driving drug convictions. It's a federal requirement to suspend someone's privilege. However, there is a established and fairly easy mechanism to get a federal waiver for that one. And the actual procedure is outlined in our document. But it basically just takes written communication from the governor's office to Department of Justice saying that we're opting out of that requirement. And once that procedure is followed, states are no longer required to suspend for non-driving drug convictions. So Marcy, bring us full circle. As we start to wrap up our conversation, regardless of which update or edition you're reading, if one of your peers from another jurisdiction was reading a document for the first time, what are the three things you'd want to make sure they get out of it and they can focus on as they're looking to improve their suspended driver program in their jurisdiction? I think I would look at, first of all, the impact that it has on your license encounters, your courts, your law enforcement. You know, when you look at that and you realize how much effort and time and money is being put into these non-highway safety-related suspensions, it's really shocking. Second thing that I would really look at are the statistics that we have in here. We have great 
numbers, statistics in here that can be very easily utilized, you know, if you are going to be presenting something to your legislature to consider eliminating these. And I think the last thing is to look at all the different alternatives for reinstatement, some of the waiver programs, all of these different types of programs that can help folks get their license back when they've been suspended for one of these non-safety related reasons. Brian, any highlights we haven't touched on you wanted to make sure I mentioned before we wrap up today's conversation? Yeah, just the last thing I would mention is one of the appendices also includes model legislation. So if a listener is wondering, well, how do I get started with making a legislative proposal? We do have a template as one of our appendices that you can modify and customize to your own special circumstance, but it's a good start. So we have model legislation that our members can use. Well, Marcy, Brian, I want to thank you for taking some time today to give us this great overview of reducing suspended drivers and alternative reinstatement, particularly the updated best practice, Edition 3, which is now available on the AMVA website, amva.org. Take a look at it, follow up with us, contact Marcy, Brian, any of us here to learn more about it. And thank you both again for being part of today's episode. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having us. For everyone out there, thanks for listening this week. We'll see you right back here next week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Until next week, stay well, everyone. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by Vinsmart.